28. So for some of you, you know that um, I had the opportunity to spend a few weeks in the Philippines. And unfortunately, Pastor Chris is ill and recovering. Well, he's recovering. We won't say he's ill. And so this gives me a great opportunity to just get to share a little bit of my heart with you, um, unexpectedly. So, um, But I get to share just a glimpse into my trip. Um, some of it's just going to come out naturally. You'll see a few pictures from my time away. Um, so some of it's just going to rub off automatically on you. Sorry about that. And um, some of it I'll dig into just a little bit more in detail. But um, the Lord has just really put on my heart this morning what it means to be accepted in the beloved, accepted in Jesus. And so I'm going to dig right in. You know, I love this picture. We took this picture, and it was so appropriate that this was the way my trip started out this year in the Philippines. This picture was taken um, way up in the mountains on what felt like the top of the world in this on this island in the Philippines called Negros. Um, And we were dedicating a new work that the Lord had begun. They had invited us to travel up there and to um, be part of their dedication service for this new church and to speak over that church. And um, this, this picture just spoke to my heart as I thought about what it meant to be accepted in the beloved. Um, To me, it's a beautiful picture of who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ Jesus. It is in the center of this little church flies a banner that says, Jesus reigns or Jesus reign. We are accepted in the beloved. We are encompassed in all that Christ is in us. And Christ is in the center of all we are. Amen. And so we gathered around that little church and we prayed for that church. It was on the top of the mountain peak and uh, it was a great day. We had to ride these motorcycles to get up there. Oh, I tell you, my backside wasn't the same for about two weeks. But it was an adventure. I remember Pastor Josh, who pastored here probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess, I don't know how many years ago that was. You'll get a chance to meet him this spring when we have our anniversary service. Um, But I remember my first mission trip with him to Myanmar, and he said, you have to keep in mind every mission trip is an adventure. And I just kept saying, oh, this is an adventure. I love this. This is an adventure in my backside. Ha-womp, ha-womp. Because I sat on the very back of the motorcycle without the cushion part. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. But it was amazing. It was an amazing adventure. And that's what life is with Jesus, right? An amazing adventure. He takes us places we never thought we would go. But that was a beautiful picture of who Christ is and how we are accepted in the beloved. I want to look at Ephesians 2, or excuse me, Ephesians 1. I think our next slide, there we go. And I took this out of the... um, the Passion Translation. Sometimes I think we just need to hear Scripture from a different translation because we get so used to hearing Scripture the same way that we, we kind of automatically switch off. And I love this Passion Translation because it speaks right to our hearts. And it, I think it'll trigger something in us, a new understanding. And so, Father, I'm asking today for a new understanding in our hearts. Not just knowledge, but a new understanding, Father of what it means to be accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 3 through, 3 through 6 says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. All because he sees us wrapped into Christ. That is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. 
For it was always his perfect plan to adopted, adopt us as his delighted, delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has loved he has for his beloved one Jesus he has for us and this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure for the same love he has for Jesus he has for us why is that because Jesus is in us And we are in Jesus. Therefore, when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. And he loves us just like he loves Jesus. And this is what it means to be accepted into the beloved. And this is the foundation of what our Christian life looks like. It's relationship. See, Jesus came to show us what his relationship with the Father looked like. He said, this is what the Father looks like. The Bible says that Jesus was the exact image of the Father. Jesus came to say, whoa, this is what the Father looks like. I was talking to someone the other day, and I was saying, we were talking about how we look like our kids and and how we look like our parents. And I said, one day I walked past a mirror when I was out shopping with my daughter. And I said, what's Ashley doing here? Oh, and then I realized it was me. But you know, there's been plenty of times I've looked in the mirror and thought, what's my mom doing here? (laughs) Either way, it's a good compliment. But Jesus came to show us what the Father looked like. And he came to teach us about what the kingdom was like. Because he came also to make a way that we could become part of that family, part of that kingdom, and we could begin to look like we belonged. Right? So today I want to talk to you about all things Starting from the foundation point of that relationship, everything is in that relationship. It's the starting point of all things are in Christ Jesus. For out of our relationship with God comes fellowship. And out of fellowship comes every spiritual blessing. Every favor, every place of provision, every grace, and everything needed for life comes out of relationship. It all starts, grows, and manifests, and exists within our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, within the Beloved. This is our foundation, our peace, and our holding ground. However, you know, I've been around the block enough times to know that occasionally our perspective can become skewed. We can lose sight of our first love. Really easily. See, our lives cannot become about breakthrough. They cannot become about healing, whether it be inner healing or physical healing. Our lives cannot be focused on learning more. Our lives cannot even become about mission. It has to be only about Jesus, only about relationship. 
Because out of that relationship comes all things. The cares of this world, the concerns of our flesh, the works of our hands, no matter how righteous they are, if they take us off center focus, they become a snare and they lead us away from our first love. I know. The scripture's been going through my mind this week. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Open your eyes. Open your heart. Let the king in. Let him in. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Are we ready? Are your lamps full? Do you have the reserve ready? The king is coming. Are you waiting for the bridegroom? See, 2 Kings, I want to look at 2 Kings today. In 2 Kings 4, it tells of a great story of a wise and kind Shunammite woman who prepared a place for the prophet Elisha, who was a type and a foreshadow and a forerunner of Christ. And we can learn from the Shunammite woman how to prepare our hearts, how to host the Savior as the love of our life. They're ahead of me. My papers are sticky. We can begin to answer the question, how do we keep Jesus as the first love of our life? How do we keep from going askew? So let's read part of this story. 2 Kings 4, 8 through 9. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it may be, when he comes to us, that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned in to the upper chamber and rested. See, we maintain the correct perspective of love when we, like the Shunammite, we are watching, we are preparing, we are communing, we are sitting, and we are burning. Let's look at the scripture a little closer. How often are we watching like the Shunammite woman? How often do we recognize when God is passing by? He is always the instigator in our relationship. He is always present. He is always waiting patiently for us. Do we notice the opportunities to open the doors? Are we watching? Are we listening? It says that, behold, now I perceive this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. God is always present. And he is always desiring to draw closer to us. Are we answering that call? Are we always stepping in 
we stopping and pausing? Long enough to listen, to look, to pursue. The word of God says, he is not far off like you would think him to be. He is near. He is near. The word of God says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting. It doesn't run out. It doesn't come up short. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? His patience, his kindness, he's always drawing. His Holy Spirit draws, and he draws us in a place of repentance, that we would come. Responding to what she noticed and creating an atmosphere of hospitality to host his presence. Wow. By simply responding to what she saw. We can simply respond to God's kind intentions and it prepares us to enter his presence through his son, Jesus. He's already made the way. Jesus has already paid the price. He's just waiting for a response. And that response is a daily thing. It's a minute-by-minute thing. It's an hour-by-hour. It's always, always, always there. It's not just a one-time-at-the-cross thing. That's a big step, right? But there's more beyond the cross. Remember in John... John's revelation, the book of Revelation, the door that stands open in heaven. That wasn't just for John. Oh, come on. Are you watching for the door? Are you peeking in to see what lies in the heavens? Take the opportunity. Respond. Are you watching? She was preparing a walled upper chamber. Speaks of our hearts. A walled upper chamber speaks of our hearts. Our innermost being. The place where rivers of living water flow. She was preparing You know, Jesus bridges the way between heaven and earth. That upper chamber, he makes the way. He was the ladder. I love that, that, um, that hosting, that hospitality mentality. God loves hospitality. We see that encompassed in this whole idea here. As the Shunammite looked and said, how can I be hospitable? Take that into consideration as we're watching and preparing. How can we be hospitable to what God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts? When we went to the Philippines, um, We spent a lot of time doing conferences and leadership training at this church that hosted us. And um, there was this one woman, bless her heart. They would often feed us lunch during the day because we'd be there all day long. And sometimes after our meetings, they'd provide a snack or something. But this one woman, if she was there, her name was Floor. And and that's F-L-O-R, not O-O-R. So, I mean, it wasn't like. Floor. Um, she's beautiful, like short for Florence, right? And um, she always, she owned a bakery and a restaurant in town. And um, she always would cook us something special for lunch. And um, one day my friend and I were sitting up in, in our 
room waiting for lunch, you know, up in the pastor's office where they served us lunch. And um, actually, I don't think we were waiting for lunch. I think it was earlier in the day, a coffee break or something. And, um, you know, we'd be in, been eating the blessing of rice and dried white fish for quite a few days. And, you know, okay, you know, it's, it's good. It's all good. You know, you thank you, Jesus, that we had 21 days of fasting before we went. Uh, God knows how to prepare us, you know, and it was all good. It's just what you do. And thank you, Jesus, that after about 40 years of my life, I learned to like rice. And so it was all good. But we were sitting there and my friend said, oh, what I wouldn't do for a piece of chocolate. And, you know, I thought, oh, great. Thanks for planting that thought in my head. Um, So, you know, we were just sitting there having our coffee, kind of coffee. And this woman, bless her heart, we hadn't really gotten to know her too well. She came in and she sat down. She said, oh, I made you a treat today. And, And it was one of the first times we had met her. And she put it on the table and we thought, do we have to save that till lunchtime, you know? And she put down this chocolate cake in front of us. I thought, I thought, you're like an angel from God. That was like a, that was like an answer to prayer. And it was, I'm not kidding you, one of the best chocolate cakes I've ever had. And it wasn't just because I had been fasting for 21 days and been all the way across the world and been eating white rice forever. You know, I mean, not forever. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, But it was amazing. It was dripping chocolate icing, dark chocolate icing. And it was just like, oh, and it was amazing. And like, she became my instant best friend next to Stacy, the gal I was sitting next to. And, um, we were like, okay, so we'll just eat a little slice now. We'll save the rest for everybody else when we get, when we have lunch, you know? And so from that day forward, every day she was there, she baked us either chocolate cake or they were amazing, amazing desserts that she made us. Plus she brought us delightful lunches. And then on the day we left, she had delivered to our hotel room each a chocolate cake, all packaged and wrapped up to take home. Sorry, Mom and Dad, to our families. Um, um, (laughs) But it was so delightful. She understood what it meant to host the presence to host people, to have hospitality. She got it. We prayed for her. I'm still praying for her. She's, she's Facebook friends. You know, she'll, she'll type me, hey, Chris, can you pray for this? There's favor. Of course, we have relationships. She made her way into my heart, her and her boys. Do you understand how we begin to have that idea of preparing, of watching, of hospitality with the Lord? Are we watching for him? Are we preparing a place? Are we setting out ourselves Are we opening wide the gates and the doors for that relationship? Another thing the Shunammite woman put in that room was a bed. See, because she didn't want this prophet to just come in, eat a meal, and leave. Oh, no, she wanted him to stay. And when Jesus enters into my life, I don't want him to just pass by. I want him to abide. And I want him to stay forever. But I don't want him just to hang out like at some distant corner of the house. Oh, no. I want him to dwell, dwell, dwell. I want my house to be his house. Yeah? She put out a bed. Actually, the Hebrew root word for bed 
in this case actually means to bow down, to deliver. It means when you see the words, incline your ear in scripture or the outstretched arm. That's what that word bed means. Can you see Jesus in that? Can you see see God in that in the in uh, the in the Psalms the outstretched arm, incline your ear. Can you see Jesus bowing down as he left the heavens and he humbled himself and he took on the form of a man, and he was obedient unto death, even death of the cross. He bowed down. bowed low. He did it all that we would enter rest. Wow. It says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's a place of abiding. Jesus came to represent the Father and to show us the love that the Father has for the Son. He taught us about what the kingdom of God is like. And he paid the price so that you and I could be sons and daughters of the Father, loved like Jesus, a part of the kingdom fully restored. We are invited to abide in this relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's a placement in the family. John 15 says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That the world may know that thou didst send me and did love them even as thou hast loved me. That's what Jesus asked of the Father. Another thing the Shunammite put in that room was a a table. She wanted him to be, we need communion. Just like Brenda did such a beautiful job with communion today. There needs to be a table. A table in our lives for communion. This is a place where we remember and where we celebrate How often do we really remember his great love and recount the great price that he paid? Zach, you can go ahead and put up some of those pictures if you want to, or if you would. (laughs) Could be a difference. (laughs) Isaac always says, well, I really don't want to. (laughs) I didn't mean that. You know, I had um, the opportunity on my trip in the Philippines to do um, a couple evangelistic outreaches up in the mountains and in a different village. This one I didn't have to ride a motorcycle to. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But um, this was a great opportunity. And I actually knew before going that it would be the evangelistic crusades that the Lord actually sent me for. And, um, well, I don't know why else he sent me, but, you know, these were important for me. Um, because I think the Lord did such a working in my own heart. And where did our picture go? Uh, you can leave it there. I, I don't, did you go through them all already? Okay, just leave it on one or, yeah. Gives them something to look at other than me. Um. We did two. The first night, um, I spoke and all went well. Yeah, they were located in this little va- village. You drove for hours, to, at least two hours, to get up into this, the middle of these um, in the mountains, the middle of. Um, we're out in the middle of the mountain, and you're in the middle of sugarcane fields. And um, I'm trying to think of what else. Taro. 
They were growing out there. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're in the middle of this little village. And um, this village had popped up because the uh, people who own the fields um, hired these people to man their fields for them, right? And so they had established this village. You want to go back to one of the village pictures, maybe that one with all the people so they can kind of see. Um, and in the middle of this village was a town center. And so we had probably a couple hundred people, 150, couple hundred people there, um, surrounded with shop, little tiny shops and stores. And they had set out, you know, they had a band, a, a small band playing a puppet show, um, and then we do just a quick uh, evangelistic message, and um, lots of children. It was it was delightful. So the first evening I had shared, but the second evening on the way out there, um, the there was three of us that had gone, and the the leader of our team turned to me and she said, "Chris, you know, um, I've been asking the Lord for a miracle this evening." And um, he told me, I've already given the miracle. I've already given them my son. And if you would um, just share with them what I've done on the cross, what my son did on the cross, then I will pour my love out on the people. And so she turned to me and she said, would you share that with them, please? And I had a message prepared, no big deal. And I said, um, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. But instantly inside, I was like, oh, Jesus, I can barely look on the cross. And I'm not sure I can remember all the details. You know, I, I, what, if I can't, what if I can't do that right? And, and it was just a split-second thought. You know, it wasn't like this long dissertation, but it was just a, oh, Jesus. And um, instantly, in my spirit, I heard one word. And all I heard was, Christina. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit because nobody calls me Christina. On occasion, my mom and dad, but that's been a long time, so I knew it wasn't them. They weren't there. And I knew that it was now. And I knew what I had to do. And I said, yes, Lord. And so that evening I shared about Jesus on the cross. And I shared about the prodigal son. See, we often don't hear about the cross. We often come and we, we come the first Sunday of the month and we, we take our bread and we take our juice, but we forget or we, we don't look fully on the cross. We forget that it was that night that Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. And this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the sins of many. Drink. But it was just a few hours later that Jesus was betrayed by one who had walked with him for years. That Jesus had loved as his very own. But Jesus had known all along. that he would be betrayed. Talk about love your enemies. And Jesus had loved him and loved him and loved him. And we forget that the crowds screamed out, crucify him. An innocent man, crucify him. And he was traded for one who was a criminal. And he was taken and he was flogged. He was beaten with a whip that had metal and bones on the end of it. At least 30 la- 39 lashes. But he was beaten by Romans, so we really don't know. They didn't have to hold to the Jewish, to the Jewish 
traditions there, the Jewish law. Down to the flesh stripped away, down to the bones showing, down to the blood running out. So much so that he was unrecognizable. That the crown of thorns that was beaten upon his head with a rod and the beard that was ripped out of his face. So much so that he was unrecognizable, the Bible says. He's not the pretty picture we see. He was unrecognizable. And he was beaten for me. And then he had to carry the crossbar until someone came to his mercy. And then he was nailed to that crossbar. And then he was pulled up upon the seven-foot pole by which he hung and nailed to that, unable to get a full breath because his shoulders would have been dislocated and his elbows probably would have been dislocated by that time. And in order to get a breath, he would have had to push up on the feet that were nailed to the post holding him up. And he hung that way for over six hours. We forget that this was the innocent man, that even hanging there, he pronounced freedom to the criminals hanging on his side. He pronounced mercy. He spoke to his mother and to his beloved disciple. We forget when we hold that bread. And he says, take this and eat. Because this is what I gave you. Take this and drink because this is my promise and my covenant. Enter in with me. Enter in with me. Commune with me. Because I paid it all for you. The highest price. Because there was no one else that could pay it for you. Because I want you to have what I have with the Father. I want you to be part of my family. I want to be one with you. I want to look like you. And I want you to look like me. I want you to be in this kingdom. And this is the only way it's going to happen. And thank you, Jesus, that because there was life in him, because he is life, and because the enemy had no hold on him, No hold on him. He was able to die that death and to go to the pits of hell and to take back the keys of death in Hades and to raise again in three days so that you and I have no hold of death in us. As we believe in him, we have life and we have it abundantly because we have now relationship with the Father And that is the foundation of all things. And that is why when we take communion, as Brenda led us through today, that not only do we remember the great price that was paid and the love that was poured out that day, but we celebrate it. Because it didn't end at the cross. It only began. From that point, freedom started Hope started. Amen? So she put a table in there. And we too need a table to remember and a table to celebrate. As we enter into that communion with Jesus. Jesus brings the bread and the wine. He is the bread and the wine. 
He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Revelations, we see that the lamb is at the center of all worship. I found it interesting. I'm doing a um, a collaborative with Marley. She's leading a small group of people through the book of Revelations just as a meditation, and it's been wonderfully insightful. I've just loved it. Um, But what I found interesting is that the worship in the book of Revelations is all centered around the Lamb of God. And what I mean by that, it is not centered around the Son of God. It is not centered around the title of the Son of Man. It is not centered around the title of Jesus. It is not centered around the title of Messiah. It is centered around the title of the Lamb of God. How important it is to remember and to recall the sacrifice of the Lamb of God and the importance of the Lamb of God, who Jesus is as the Lamb. How beautiful. There was one other thing she put in that room, or two other things. She put in there a chair. Because once we know what it means to commune with Jesus, we also know that we have a place to sit at the table. Because Jesus sits at the table, he is enthroned. Because he humbled himself, he was given the highest seat. He was given the highest place of authority in all of heaven. But our position comes as we sit in that chair as a son or as a daughter We have authority that Jesus gave us. Sitting is about discovering and knowing who we are in Christ Jesus and the authority of Christ as he has given us as his ambassadors. Our position comes from our relationship as sons and daughters. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If needed, if, excuse me, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The chair speaks, the the word chair in that particular uh Scripture speaks of a royal throne, speaks of a lofty seat. It raises us up with him as joint heirs, and it has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So she put a chair in that room. Are you seated in the chair? Do you know the authority you have in Christ Jesus, your position? One other thing she put in that room was a lampstand, a candlestick. So we must be burning. That will keep our, our first love, our first love alive. It will keep our perspective on first love. The lampstand represents us. Represents us. Our need for vision. The Bible says, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's needed for perspective and direction, and it's needed for warfare. The word makes us wiser than our enemies. Psalms 119. Makes us wiser than our enemies. Did you know that? Smarter than your enemy. If you know the word of God. Right? It's also the Holy Spirit within us. Revelation says that the church is a lampstand, but the Holy Spirit is the fire. And you know what? A candlestick isn't very good or a lampstand isn't very good without the fire. 
It's just another piece of furniture. Right? It's powerless. It's dull. So a lampstand must have the fire. Must have the fire. But you know, the fire is a gift. Not something to be earned. Not something we can work for. That's why Jesus said, wait for it. Wait for it. He never meant a lamp stand to have no fire. We must have the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to read, finish reading just in 2 Kings 4, verses 12 through 13. So we see Elisha has... Um, taken up residence. When he comes by through town, he stays at the Shunammite's uh, home. But he'd been staying there. And then he said to to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken of to the king or to the captain of the army? And she said, She answered, I live among my own people. In other words, I'm fine. All's good. And so he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, saying, truly, she has no son and her husband is old. And he called her. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, At this season next year, you will embrace a son. And then she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year. And Elisha had, as Elisha had said to her. See, God knows your barren places in life. When we take time and make sure that Jesus is the first love of our life, when we know that all things are on the foundation of relationship with him, when everything starts there, when our perspective is straight, we don't have to worry about other things. God knows the barren places in our lives. He knows those things that are missing. Just like he knew with the Shunammite. Well, she has no son. And God spoke to it and said, this time next year. God knows the barren places in our lives. But it must be built upon relationship first. Because when we know that we have entered into relationship with the Father. Then we can know and trust his nature. That he will take care of all the barren places. It was just in the next chapter that we see that she is, she's had a son. And the son is out working in the field with his father. Something goes wrong. The son becomes ill and the son dies. I'm paraphrasing very fast. And the Shunammite sends out and goes and finds Elisha and said, how could you promise me this boy when I told you not to? And then he dies. And how could you allow that to happen? I told you, don't give me this boy and raise my hopes. And Elijah comes and he lays upon the child And he raises the child from the dead. See, God knows that when we have relationship with him, him, he knows the dead places in our lives. For he is the resurrection and he is the life. And he brings dead places to life again. He is able to do it. It all comes out of relationship. That is where favor abides. 
is in relationship. When you have Christ in you and when you are hidden in Christ, that is where favor resides. Because God looks at you and sees Jesus and he loves Jesus. And the way he loves Jesus, he loves you. And what he does for Jesus, he does for you. And he wouldn't allow Jesus to be barren, so he won't allow you. And he raised Jesus from the dead, so he raises you. He gives strength to Jesus. He gives strength to you. We see later on in chapter 8 of 2 Kings that there's famine in the land. So so Elijah goes to the Shunammite woman and says, famine is coming. Leave the land with your family. Take your household and go. Don't come back. It'll be here for seven years. So she leaves. Seven years later, she comes back. And I'm going to paraphrase this roughly. She comes back. But in seven years' time, she's lost everything. And so she goes to the king. And while she's at the, ki- at the king, she's going she's gonna to ask the king, I've lost everything. But while she enters the king's gates or the king's courts, who should be there but Gehazi, Elijah's servant? And Elijah's servant is before the king, and Elijah's, the king has asked the servant, tell me about the works of Elijah. And so Gehazi is at that moment telling him about the time that Elijah raised this woman's boy from the dead. And who should walk in as Gehazi is telling that story but the very woman whose boy was raised from the dead. And so as the servant sees the woman, he says, this is that very woman. And the king says, do tell. He says to the woman, tell me the story. And as the woman began, begins to repeat the story of how Elisha raised her boy from the dead, the king is in awe. And he says to her, what can I do for you? She says, oh, I've been out of the country for seven years and I've lost everything. And so the king sends his clerk, sends his official and says, I want you to get back her land and you give her every bit of produce that her land has um, produced in the last seven years. You repay it. So God knows that when we have relationship with him, when we live from relationship with him, we have enough favor with him that he can take that which has been destroyed and he will repay. He is that kind of father. He restores that which has been stolen, whether it be through famine or through enemy or through death or through barrenness, God takes care of his children. Amen? But it comes because we have set our love on him. We can stand upon promises, not because we're standing on promises, but because we're standing in love with him. And we know that he loves us. And his word is true because we know him. I know that when my dad says something, I can take his word for it because he loves me and because I know my dad. He's just good that way. You guys know my dad. He's good that way, right? I know my heavenly father, and I know he is good that way. I I love him, and he loves me. And when he says something, I just know It's going to happen because he's good that way. I don't always see it, but you know, the biggest enemy of faith is sight. We don't live by sight. 
We live by faith, and God rewards faith, not sight. He is good. He is good. He is good. We sang that he is good, and he just keeps on getting better. You know why he keeps on getting better? Not because he changes, but because our perspective changes. And the more we... The more we press in, the more we open wide the gates, open the ancient gates and the doors, the more we perceive of his goodness. There's nobody excluded from that. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Sometimes his goodness looks different than you would think it would look. Sometimes he wants to be something different then you think he's going to be in the moment. We have to invite him into that too. Maybe today he wants to be strength for you. Maybe today he wants to be healing for you. Maybe today he wants to be um, perseverance for you. But whatever he wants to be for you is the perfect thing for you today because he knows what you need. And he knows how he wants to reveal himself to you. Will you open up your house? I want to just close with this last scripture. Oh, Zach, can you put it up for me? You can just close your eyes. I just want to read this over you as a blessing today. Be encouraged. The Heavenly Father just longs to draw you into his love. He just wants to draw close. This is the season for drawing close in intimacy with the Father. He wants to change perspectives. The Father's love. He so loved Jesus. And as he loved Jesus, he loves you. No one excluded. If you're here, if you hear this, this word is for you. And so I just want to finish reading in Ephesians chapter 117 out of the translation, uh, the Passion Translation. It says, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God would illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, that is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. Amen. Father, I just ask today that you would seal your word in our hearts, that it would work what it needs to work in each one of us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way, that you are the way, the way to the Father. I ask, Father, that you would just um, draw us close, that you would help us to open our hearts prepare place for you, a place where we can abide, a place where we can commune, a place where we can uh, know our places as sons and daughters, our position before you, a position here on earth, Father. I pray that you would um, fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to walk here on earth. Lord, just bless your people. Bless this word in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good week. And uh, 
Yeah, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.